So yeah, pumpkin killing. About your friends and your neighbors, everybody, even the people you don't like, it's okay. They can come out for that. It'll be great. It'll be great. They're going to eat pumpkin and shoot pumpkin and roll pumpkin around, do all kinds of stuff. If you'd like to show up early and help out or stay late and help clean up, that'd be awesome. Really? Not in your when I do it like that, huh? It's like, I don't know what it is with you guys. It's, it's like, you're like, yeah, let's go pumpkin killing. You want to help? Nope. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, uh, we're trying to give you guys like a planting roots update right now every month. Uh, planting roots is the little thing that we did because we're going to have to be out of this building at the end of next year. And so we've been looking to find a permanent home for the last six, seven years now. And we couldn't find a place, so we ended up buying this field out here. And we're going to end up building a, a permanent uh, structure for Element to actually meet in, which would be kind of cool because we'll have air conditioning. And doors that shut so flies aren't like, hey, open door, woo, let's go in there and hang out on somebody's head, right? So, you know, it'll be kind of cool. It's like, we're not going to know what to do with it. It's going to be too nice. You know, the bathrooms aren't, you're not going to feel like you're going to die of strep, you know, or something. And it's like, I got stab infection. Where? I was in Elman's bathroom. Oh, you know, so it'll be awesome. And again, we're going to be like, like white trash in like Beverly Hills going, I don't know what to do. It'll be great. But anyway, anyway. Uh, just to let you know, so our stuff is in the city. Uh, we, we had a meeting last week. It's still kind of moving and going forward. And in the next couple of weeks, if you if you pledge the planting roots to help this thing happen, uh, you're going to get a call from one of the people on the board uh, just so you can ask any questions you might have. They're going to say, you know, hey, thanks thanks so much for you know pledging the planting roots. Do you have any questions for us? Because a lot of times you may have a question you don't feel uh, safe and asking in the middle of a church service or you know at the end of it or maybe going to a board meeting and showing up being like the odd man on the wall going, I got some questions. So they're going to call. You can ask them anything you might want to ask them and yeah. Don't, don't, it's not going to like, hey, uh, you made a planting roots. It's not like that. It's like, hey, we just want to make sure that we're all on the same page with that. And uh, some exciting things are, are kind of happening in there. So just you know, keep praying, planting roots. If you if you committed, keep going. If you haven't, you'd like to. Awesome. That'd be great too. So it'll be really good. So welcome to Element. Uh, if you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. Inside, you'll get some notes about... Uh, what we're kind of talking about as well as some questions go a little bit deeper. On the back, you'll get some announcements. And also on the communion table, there are directions to pumpkin killing. Looks like this. This is directions if you wanted to show up early and help out. Or not. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. Click on Live in Uversion. It'll come up by GPS uh, in your smartphone. You'll get summer notes, verses, questions, all that goes along with the message. Uh, my name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors here. I want you to stand with me, reading of God's Word. This is 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 15, and it says, Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who find our satisfaction and our hope in you. That we would understand the things that we seek and run after that, that are not you. And we would simply lay our lives in your hands and find the grace and the goodness that you have bestowed and given to us. You would teach us as a people to honor you by laying everything in your hands. Amen. Have a seat. Right, so if you made it through our last series, it was called Coloring Book All-Stars. It was all happy and you had a whole lot of fun stuff. We looked at all the heroes in the Bible. And so this is kind of the inversion of that. We have gone dark. Star Wars is coming, right? So we're going to the dark. And, oh my goodness, yeah, Darth Vader! Right, okay. 
So we burnt down the city, turned everything kind of dark, and we're doing this thing called Legends of the Fall, where we're looking at some of the bad guys or the bad stories in the Bible. Sometimes you'll still find them in Bible coloring books, but usually not in a good light. Like, you usually find, like, the serpent in the Bible coloring book, and it's not like, hey, color the serpent. It's, it's kind of like not always in a good way, and that's probably a good thing. Uh, today's message, I actually stuck originally at the end of the series, and then I realized how uh, King David with Bathsheba and Amnon and next week Absalom all fit together, so they're kind of going as a chunk now in the middle. And when I looked over some old notes and kind of went through this, i got to tell you, this is one of the stories in the Bible that probably make me the most sick. Out of any, except for maybe Lot and his daughters. If you don't know that story, good for you. But uh, if you do, this is like probably the other story that makes me pretty sick. This is why I don't watch Law and Order SVU because it makes me want to go and bury people. So this is kind of one of those. And today is probably going to be more somber than any of the other messages that we look at in, in this series. I think if the Bible were made into a movie, and I know a lot of people have tried, but no one's really done it justice, but if someone did what was actually in it, I think it would be like NC-17 or Rated X because it is full of graphic things with a lot of detail and excessive violence. Uh, Bible translators are always trying to clean up the Old Testament and always trying to clean up the language that God uses in there to soften it up to make it more family-friendly. I mean, you think, come on, God, it's your book. Be a little more family-friendly. And God's like, no, I'm going to show the depravity of mankind and what they did and who they are. And so it shows as a mirror of who we are in our hearts and in our souls. And you have these unbelievable stories of people doing some shocking and destructive things. Uh, There is genocide and polygamy and incest and people cutting other people up into pieces and mailing chunks in different parts of the country. There's prostitution. And that's like in the first few books. Okay, and, and in all of these, one of the ones I find most unreadable, again, after Lot and his daughters, is the one that takes place with the guy we're looking at today. His name is Amnon. And it comes literally right after David and Bathsheba. So open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 13. And what you'll see is even though God forgives David for his sin, there's this price that gets paid. Not to God. Okay, not to God. But when we model bad behavior to our kids, when we don't repent, when they don't see us sorry, we just kind of trying to cover it up, keep going, they see that. They see that. And when we keep going in that, it usually gets passed on to the kids in our lives. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan goes to David and he says, your sin with Bathsheba is going to have some ramifications in your family for not leaving a proper legacy. And David's sins of the sexual abuse find their way directly into his family, what happens next in chapter 13. So 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. So what you have is, these are half-brothers. Brothers from a different mother, literally in this case, it's true, okay? It's, it's different mothers, and so they're half-brothers. Tamar is Amnon's half-sister. But that's still a no-no in that culture. In Jewish law, you, you don't do that. It's still a no-no in our culture today, just in case you were wondering. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a no-no. Now, the word that's used for love here, it can translate like, uh, I love chocolate or I love ice cream. It's kind of an appetite for an object, kind of like David and Bathsheba. So it's kind of connecting it together. Verse 2, And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. She's upset, too. We haven't got to the good part. I mean, seriously. 
Now, what you see here is that the love there is actually lust. He has an appetite for her. He wants to do things to her. These, again, are the out-of-bound fantasies that come along in our minds that kind of take up all of our headspace. Uh, lust can cause you to do these frightening and horrible things. Lust is something in your life that can begin to own you. It takes up all your headspace where you think and obsess about this one thing. If I just had that, if I just watched that, if I just knew them, if I just had them in my life, and it begins to make you miserable. One author writes this, Every once in a while, lust may even have something to do with sex but not always. This means we can lust after a lot of things in our lives, and it becomes all you think about. Uh, A new car. If you're in my wife's case, it'd be like an old car. She wants an old muscle car, so she thinks about and talks about that a lot. Uh, Maybe it's a tattoo, or a food, or a baseball team winning the World Series, or a new phone, or a TV. Uh, Michelle, the girl who's leading music, she's been talking about wanting a new amp for a while. She goes, I am lusting after a new amp. So it can literally be just about anything. It's like people have said that shopping isn't just about like the clothes. It's about the smell of the place and the tags and the fabrics and trying things on. That eating isn't just about food. It's about the taste and the fullness and the comfort of it. Cigarettes is not just about smoking. It's about the feel of it in your hand, the drag of the cigarette, the feel of it, the, the camaraderie that comes around as part of it because we are sensory creatures. All these things go together. And all this goes back to creation with Adam and Eve. It's why when we started Legends of the Fall, we started with Adam and Eve, and I called them Patient Zero. Because they are the ones exactly where it starts. So keep a place mark where you are in 2 Samuel 13, but flip back to Genesis chapter 3, and I'll show you something there. A couple years ago, we spent, like three years ago, we spent 70 weeks in the book of Genesis. It's online, it's free, so you can listen to it if if you want to. But in Genesis, you see God creates everything. And what God creates is pleasing to the eye. It is good for food. It's wonderful things because God wants these things to be enjoyed. God has this garden. He places these people in the middle of this garden because he wants mankind to enjoy his creation. And the word that gets used over and over and over in that garden is this word tov. The word tov, I told you a few weeks ago, translates as the word good. It's the word good. And as I told you, the word good refers to everything that's good, that which is beautiful and attractive and majestic and useful and profitable and morally right. And God is the one who gets to call what things are good and what things are not good. He is the one that gets to do it. And we seem to be a people who always want to fight God on that. No, I know what's better than you do, God. I know what I need better than you do. I am the one who should call that in my life. And God's like, you're going to destroy yourself by doing that. So there's this tree in the middle of the garden. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, I don't want you to eat from that tree. Just, just stay away from that tree and, and don't, don't eat from it. If you do, you're going to be living in a way that is opposite how I called you, and you'll walk away from true life, because following me is true life, and you'll begin to walk in the way of death. And you know what happens in the story? We looked at it five weeks ago. Almost immediately, they go and they eat from this tree, and everything falls, and everything gets jacked up. It's why the world is jacked up today. The man and the woman go outside of what God called them to. They break relationship with him, and they fall. But this is how the text writes it, Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So what does the fruit do? The fruit engages her senses. She sees it, she notices, she appreciates, she takes them and she eats it. This is her sight, her touch, her smell, her taste, they're all involved. Just like Amnon in 2 Samuel 13. Now, for Eve, was the tree itself bad? 
No. The tree, everything that God created was good. And what it shows you is a good thing can cause much pain when it gets misused. The things God creates in Genesis are good. They are a delight to the eyes. God makes you and I with this ingrained sense of appreciation for how things feel, with how things smell, with how things, you know, when you touch them and breathe them in and taste them, because God has an appreciation for those things. And we are made in His image. In 2 Samuel 13, can Amnon know his, sa- his half-sister is attractive? Uh, yes! Yes, he can know that. that that's okay. It, when it starts to take up his headspace and it turns the corner into lust and jealousy and ownership, and i got to have that. See, for Adam and Eve, the problem wasn't the fruit. The fruit is good. The fruit's created by God for the enjoyment of people. This, and, and this goes for the same things that most people lust for in their lives. In most cases, there's nothing wrong with it inherently. A woman's body, this product, that food. The problem for Adam and Eve is what the fruit comes to be in their lives. What it comes to be in their lives is rebellion against God. The rejection of the truth that God knows what is right and true and good for all of us. That we can find this somehow apart from Him. And I know we're talking about Amnon, but it really goes to the core of the Old Testament. And Adam and Eve. And its same problem still persists all the way until today. Because the appeal to Eve's senses and just get this thing, a whole other thing, it, it promises to deliver something that it can't, which is a better reality than the one that God has made. That's, you take this, and you'll have a better life than the one that God wants to give you. The problem wasn't the fruit. At the Tower of Babel, the problem wasn't the tower. You look at Cain and Abel, the problem wasn't Cain wanting to offer a better offering than Abel. It's that I can do these things on my own. I can get this apart from God. I can be fulfilled. I'll know everything I need. And I won't need that God in my life. Lust is always promising you what it can never deliver you in your life. And when you get to Amnon, you see what started Adam and Eve just continues. Wanting something that can't fulfill to be fulfilling. I mean, giving giving purpose and fulfilling us is something no human being, especially Amnon's sister, could ever come through on. But he makes himself sick because he just keeps thinking about it. Verse 3 of 2 Samuel 13, if you want to go back there. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. Again, points back to Genesis 3 because the serpent is called... Two of you, crafty. Okay, good. It's called crafty. Verse 4. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Now, his friend doesn't say, dude, that's jacked up, right? He doesn't go, let's get you some help with this and maybe not go that direction. What Jonadab does is he allows his friend to continue in the lust and then finds creative ways to help him to make it actually happen. You know, this is like bachelor parties or, you know, bachelorette parties that go all sorts of wrong directions. They are not helping the coming marriage. They are destroying the coming marriage. Verse 5, Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat, and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. So this whole thing is going to be predicated on lies. If you have to lie and scheme to get something, it is not worth it. What you are saying is that God is not good for what he said our lives were to be lived like. It's just like the fall in the garden. By giving into this temptation, Adam and Eve essentially are claiming that God is not good enough. 
that God will not give them the good things that He promises. They give them to the exception that good is also possible apart from God. God is the source of all good. So Amnon begins to live this deception. So his father David walks in. And Amnon says, oh, my tummy hurts. I can't go to school today. I don't know what to do. Oh, help. And so David goes, oh, what's wrong? He goes, well, I think and Amnon's like, it'd be really nice if my sister Tamar could come in and make me some tasty cakes. Uh, you know, maybe like some chicken noodle soup. That'd be really good for my tummy, Dad. So he goes, oh, okay. So he calls Tamar. Hey, Tamar, you want to come in and make some, you know, cakes and stuff for Amnon? And so she comes in. She does. And as soon as she brings it to him, you know, like the cakes, maybe the chicken noodle soup or whatever it is, you know, he sends everybody out of the room. So he makes everybody leave. Verse 11, but when she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous, and the word outrageous can translate as the word wicked. Do not do this wicked thing. She says, as for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. And this could also be her way of like, hey, just talk to him first. And her way, I think, God, I'm out of there. And she goes, that could be what's happening right there. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. And that's just brutal. And that should make all of us sick that anybody would use craftiness and strength to violate someone they were designed to protect. And we could actually spend the rest of the morning talking about that when people use strength to threaten and coerce other people, uh, the abuse of what families can inflict upon one another. Next week, we'll actually talk about the silence of King David, which will eventually send Tamar's brother Absalom to have a plan that kills Amnon. But what you got to see is verse 15. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. Now, you would expect in the text for the text to tell you how Tamar is feeling, right? Oh, Tamar was was feeling violated and disgusted, and and she hated Amnon. But what you do is you're told about his. And what is it about this rape that provokes all this repulsion in him and this disgust in him? The NIV says he hated her more than he had loved her. What is it that makes Amnon go from one perceived extreme to the other extreme? Because he got what he wanted. He got what he wanted, and it makes him angry. What makes it turn so fast is lust. Lust can make you do frightening and horrible things. Lust can own you. Lust comes from a deep lack of satisfaction with the life that God gave us. A way to say, I can get this apart from God. I can get all that I need. goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden and their distrust of God knowing all the good. Lust for us will start just like it does with Amnon. A thought somewhere in our minds or our hearts that says, if I had him, if I had her, if I had that, if I had this or it, I would be fulfilled. And we're not at peace. You're not at peace, you start looking around for something. You start searching, and eventually something, somebody, something catches your attention. And it all revolves around the if, if I just had that. And we have all these ideas that creep into our head and heart that we're lacking, that we are incomplete, that God is not coming through on what he promised. And this craving, this thing in front of us, if we just had it, well, that is going to be the answer. Adam and Eve are going to fixate on one piece of fruit from one tree when God has given them endless trees with endless fruit to enjoy. Amnon focuses on his sister when there's probably a whole kingdom of women who would have loved him. And their problem becomes our problem. There is so much to enjoy, we fixate on something we don't have. It is like C.S. Lewis said that we are far too easily pleased. 
And this is why satisfaction in Christ and gratitude is so central to the life that God made us, the life that God intends for us to live within. Until we can center ourselves on what we do have and what God has given, on the life we do get to live, we'll constantly be looking for another life. Lust is always going to be built on a lie. And for us to be free from lust, we have to begin by understanding the goodness and the grace of God and who He is first, and secondly, the lie and where it comes from and why it can be so appealing. Now, the word lust in the Greek is the word epithumia. It's two Greek words kind of stuck together. Epim, which means in or on. Thumos, which refers to the mind. So it's like in or on the mind. You should all know what this is like. It's like a Sunday morning. Aaron's rambling on about some guy named Amnon over and over. And your mind is a million miles away thinking about this thing. Oh, if I just had that, or I'm going to go do this, or this would be good. Oh, and you're just always constantly thinking about something else. Or maybe uh, you're on a walk with your spouse or your kids or your friend, and all of a sudden your mind's just a million miles away. You're thinking about something else. Uh, you're at school or at home doing homework or at a job, and your mind's just a million miles away thinking about all these other things, and you can't stop thinking about it. It's like, oh, as soon as I get that, when this is, I'll just get that. I'll be, I'll be okay. Because what happens is lust becomes slavery. It gets a hold of us. If you want something to the point that you're not going to feel fulfilled or better or conceive of being content without it, then it owns you. Anybody have any idea what we're talking about? I mean, we should all raise our hands. This is all of us. We are addictive creatures. We are. We try things. We experiment. We explore. Certain things get their hooks into us. A lot of times, some things that start off as freedom and goodness quickly become slavery. I mean, in our culture, we are told that freedom is freedom to do whatever you want. Biblically, though, freedom isn't being able to have whatever you want, whatever you crave. Freedom is being able to go without something that you might crave that's not good for you and still be okay without it. That you can live a full life without that, where nothing owns you except the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where there is no chains upon you holding you down. Lust and addictions, they rob people of their appreciation for things. Like, think about this. An alcoholic, maybe at one time, may have enjoyed the taste. You know, really. And then all of a sudden, now they're using drinking to numb and escape. They no longer think about the quality of the brew or the vintage of the grapes. You know, what starts off maybe as an appreciation for food, like spices, aromas, the art of cooking, it can dull. Where it's not about savoring every single bite. Where you stop realizing that food is a gift of God, that it's gracious and it's good. And all of a sudden, food just becomes an idol. And this idol is what brings you comfort instead of Christ bringing you comfort. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. What you'll notice in these things is eventually the thing that you once loved has ceased to be what it is. It ceased to be what it is. And you start to have contempt for this thing that you once loved. This thing that was so wonderful. Now you're like, I hate that thing, but you can't stop. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 18. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And then verse 20, But that is not the way you learned in Christ. So Paul talks about this loss of sensitivity and enjoyment that often leads to this hardness of heart. That being given over to sensuality. You know, the Greek word for sensuality is the absence of restraint. The absence of restraint. When our lusts get the better of us, they begin to trap us. And whether it is food or sex or shopping, whatever, what was supposed to fulfill, what you thought was going to fulfill you, didn't fulfill you. It betrays you. It now owns you. And it always leaves you wanting more. And so you become hungrier and emptier and lonelier and more depressed. It is, he hated her more than he loved her. That's what it is. That's the connection. 
And we end up going to the refrigerator and you'll eat the entire box. You go to the website and you watch every clip and that wasn't enough. So go to the next website and watch every clip. Or you buy one in every color or go online and shop and buy one in every color. Or you take another drink or another pill or another drag and then you're right back where you started. Momentarily, you feel satisfied. Ah, but you're totally let down because it's going to come up again. Because it didn't deliver on what it promised. That's lust. That's lust. And people who are not aware of what they're doing with keep insisting and saying things like, Oh, I can stop any time. I've got the system. I've got seven steps to this or ten steps to this. And I'm going to figure it all out. Paul says you're darkening your understanding. You're operating under an assumption that at some point lust is just going to plateau and it's going to sit there and be, be fine. But that's not where it does. Lust always wants more. It never leaves you in the same spot. Which is why it leads to despair. Which then leads to anger. When you don't work on anger correctly, it becomes depression. And this is why we must be a people who cry out to God that help us to see the lies that have so permeated our lives. It's why last week we talked about Nathan going and revealing the truth to David that we need to pray, God, send Nathan into my life. Someone who has enough guts to tell me the truth and give me the strength to actually listen to them when they tell me the truth. Paul goes on, verse 20, so he says, But that is not the way you learn in Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as, Je- as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Oh, in the mind. Interesting. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This means that we are offered a life of freedom and hope with renewed minds and renewed hearts. Not that we never struggle like Amnon or Adam and Eve, but that we now have a strength to understand the freedom we're called to. That we can actually see the hooks that lust has in our old self. That we have people around us to live in community with that can help us to get those hooks out of us as we trust Jesus for strength and trust the people who placed around us to step into our lives for the truth. We get to live brand new lives. It's what people have called an instantaneous process. And I know it sounds like those words don't go together, but instant because the moment you believe, the moment you believe you're a new creation in Christ, you live in the same old flesh, flesh bag, you know, that, that we live in, but in God's sight we're new. We have been made alive in Christ. It's the gospel present now today, but it's a process because it's a process. In Christianity, we like this big word, it's called sanctification. What sanctification really means is salvation in present time. You, in God's eyes, have been made right and holy and good, but day by day by day by day, He is changing us and remaking us and renewing us so we can live with and walk with Him. And I was trying to think of a good way to kind of bring this whole thing together for you. Uh, My friend Pete, he always says, he goes, I like how you preach because in the end you tie it all together with a nice little bow and I feel like, oh, I got a good ending. And I didn't really know how to bring this together for you. So so I kind of have this idea. Uh, A few years ago, uh, my wife and I and some friends were in Rome. And we went to the Vatican and I saw this painting called The Creation of David by Michelangelo. It's on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. So it cost us a bunch of money and like, Many hours of a boring Vatican tour. Uh, but, but we got there to the Sistine Chapel. I know some of you really like it, but, but whatever. So th- this is the picture. Hey, this is after the restoration, which the Japanese paid for. So the Japanese actually own this photo now. That's kind of how it works. But if you look at this picture, what you will see is God is extending himself to Adam. Uh, this, is, this is an amazing thing because God is rushing. His, his muscles are taut. His finger is outstretched. He's like reaching for the man. His head and his eyes are turned towards him. 
God is rushing there. Now, before Michelangelo, art scholars say that when people would paint the creation of Adam, God would be standing on the ground and he'd lift Adam to his feet. But here, Michelangelo paints it, it's that God is rushing to him. Uh, you've got the angels in the cloud, and the angels are, are kind of... I, I know, they're not Gold's Gym angels. They're pudgy little angels. I got it. But, but that, that's supposed to represent swiftness. Okay? The angels are rushing God there. The pain suggests that in the midst of all of creation, God has a deep desire to close the gap between man and himself. God sees the sin. God sees the pain. God sees the separation. The things that we rush after that are not him, and he's rushing to save. And again, traditionally, this is called the creation of Adam. But if you look at it, Adam's already awake. He's looking around. He's alive. He's conscious. I think what he is trying to represent in this picture is that God is offering Adam a relationship with him. He is offering Adam life with him. One of Michelangelo's desires was he wanted to convey in this painting the determination of God to reach out and be with the person he created. Now, if you look at Adam, what's Adam like? Adam's like us. Right? He's kind of like lackadaisical, oh, here comes God, okay, whatever. God, you can be my co-pilot, okay. I mean, that, that's what Adam's like. Oh, I got all these things, oh, 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 no, oh, now I'm depressed. God, I, now I really need you. That's, that's Adam. Adam just kind of lazily, lazily sits there. I mean, he probably thinks he can find everything he needs without God. He's just like Amnon, just like Adam and Eve, just like us. Just like us. You know, there's an interesting story about this. One night... As, as he's painting the, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, he's got all these doubts. He's discouraged because it was a big project. Have you ever seen it in person? It's a big project. I can't believe he, he did this. But he writes in his journal, he writes these words, I am no painter. I am no painter. 500 years later, we're still talking about these things. Of God's desire to be with people, to speak to people, to redeem mankind made in his image. And you know what the truth is? Just like God was so near to Adam when Adam fell and sought him out, just like God wanted to be close to Amnon, God wants to be close to us, in, in Michelangelo's deepest, darkest place, feeling like he is alone, like nobody cares, in the pit of his despair, God was with him, working through his mind and his eyes and his paintbrush. You know, in, in the scriptures, one of the most central promises you will read in the scriptures, not the most given, but one of the most central promises, it's not I'll forgive you, but, but it's there and God does, or the promise of life after death, all of that's there and, and it's true. Um, the most central promises in the scriptures, God says, I will be with you. He says, Genesis 26.3, I'll be with you. Exodus 3.12, and God said, I'll be with you. Joshua 1.5, as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah 43, verse 2, I'll be with you. So what happens at Christmas? Jesus comes. He's called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Because God does want to be with us. Not because we're so good and wonderful, but because He is. And He wants to set all of our lusts straight. I think the great question for us becomes, do we really want to be with Him? Do we really want to be with Him? Do we really want to be free of our lusts? Do we really want to be free of our anger and our pride and our wants? Do we really want to live a life in relationship with Him, trusting Him for all that we need? Do we really want to do that? I mean, if you, if you look throughout the Scriptures, the word remember is used 161 times. Most of the time it's used by God, and He's telling His people to remember who they are, where they came from, what has been done for them, what God continues to do for them. And when God speaks about this, He always points them back to the story of the Exodus. You were in slavery. You were in bondage. And I came and I rescued you. This is the idea of exactly what happens when Jesus comes. We as a people are in bondage to our sin. 
And so Jesus dies for our sin. He rises from the grave to bring us to new life so we can be free of those chains and live and walk in Him. The story of the Exodus is the story of all of us that we are in slavery and bondage and need to be set free. And in Christ, we get set free. It's all about Jesus. Again, the question becomes, will we live in redemption and hope? I mean, if you look, Adam hid. God sought him. Okay? David hid. God sought him. We have hid, and God seeks us. I mean, the, the beauty of the Scriptures is that God does not leave us as a people hiding. He seeks us out. He chases us down. He brings us new and real life and teaches us to remember you were in bondage. All the things that we think, I'm going to find satisfaction apart from him and all these things. This will make me feel better. This person will make me feel better. I mean, I, October is the month for weddings. Okay, I do a million weddings in October. And I'll tell you, almost every wedding I've done in October, when the couples talk to each other, they say things like this. You complete me. You know, uh, when everything goes wrong, you are my center. And, I, and every time I hear it, you know, it's like, did you not hear me in marriage counseling? You know? <laughs> people are not good gods. And people will let you down. Things will let you down. This is why our lives are to be centered in the person of Jesus Christ. Because only there, God is the only good God. He is the only one who can set us free. And teach us to live in that grace and that freedom. Our satisfaction needs to be found in who He is. I mean, this is why we talk about communion every single week. You take that cracker, like Christ's body was broken, like He breaks the chains of lust and sin in our lives. You dip that in the wine or the grape juice. It represents His blood that was shed for you and me. The blood that was poured down to wash away our sin. All the times that we've given into the chains of lust, of all the things that don't satisfy thinking it will, they're washed away by His blood. And He rises from the dead as we get to live and walk in new life. That's what we remember at communion. We lay down all of our lusts in these chains. We begin to live in the satisfaction of who He is. The man's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you to take communion. There'll be some deacons in the back. And if you need prayer, they'll pray with you. They're probably going to be freaked out a little bit this morning. It's like, oh my goodness, someone wants to talk about that. Uh, okay. They would love to talk about that. Um, we, have, we have these things at Element called redemption groups. The next one doesn't start until uh, the beginning of next year. But if you've ever thought about the truth of redemption, maybe you've done something to somebody else or somebody's done something to you and, you, and you can't get past that. You don't understand how God's redemption could speak into your situation. It can and it can bring hope and life and goodness again. And if you would like to talk to somebody about that, uh, Mike and Deb Harmon are here this morning. Eric and Terry will be here next service. Michelle and John, you can talk to them. Uh, Mikey, uh, the hiker, it's, uh, don't, don't touch him because Phil's sick, but, but uh, Phil and his wife uh, have gone through. And if you'd like to talk to somebody about that or maybe understand, talk to one of them about that. You know, what does it mean to, to understand truly redemption in every part of our life? That Jesus really is enough. There's offering boxes inside of one in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving then is simply part of our worship. You have the opportunity. Uh, there's food in the back. We invite you to grab something to eat uh, because you grab something to eat. Maybe you'll meet some other people, and your relationships will deepen, and maybe you'll get somebody to be able to step into your life and talk to you about some deep and hard things that we need to be spoken to about. Maybe you can step into somebody else's life. 
Because God intends for you and I to be people who live in community with one another, who honor Him by how we interact with each other. Guys, our God is good. Our God is good. Too often we think that He's not as good as He claims that He is, and we think we can find all the goodness apart from Him, but we can't. We can't. And it is proven out in our lives over and over and over and over again. We keep thinking we can, but we can't. Today, let today be the day you really start to trust Him. And you bow all that you are into His more than capable hands. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you teach us what it means to be a people who find our hope and our grace and our satisfaction in who you are. We are constantly running after things. <laughs> things that are not you. And every time we do, our lives implode. And yet we keep doing it thinking this next thing is going to be the thing that I need, or this next thing over here. And it's not that things are bad. It's when these things become our source of satisfaction, and our source of hope, and our source of peace, and our source of grace, and our source of life. Because nothing can do that except for you. So teach us to see the brokenness of our own lives. To see the lies that we've told ourselves and told other people. Of all the places that we think that we can do it better than you. And then in that, help us to also understand your redemption and grace. That you don't leave us in that broken place, but you bring healing and hope. Because you want us as a people to live in freedom and grace and joy. Not in bondage to anything. But living the goodness of the life that you have given us. So teach us to find our satisfaction in you. As the psalm says, as a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. Teach us to be a people whose souls thirst for you and all that you provide. Because you are faithful to renew us and faithful to save us. Have all of our satisfaction found in you. And we ask this in your son's gracious and good name. Amen.